Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. In this annual series called Live Love, we are reminded of why we exist. Vintage Church exists to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For us to continue what Jesus started, for us to genuinely live and love like Him, some things have to happen in us. Jesus prayed for those things in John chapter 17. Through this series, Pastor Matt Smith helps us analyze this prayer, which reveals how to live and love like Jesus and demonstrates His desire to unleash heaven on earth through His followers. In the fall of 2009, there was a little gathering of people that called itself Vintage Church that was about to step into a new season. For about a year, we had been worshiping at Southern Guilford High School, and by the time the fall of 2009 had come along, uh, at that time, we were maybe 40 to 50 people. And we felt like God was calling us from Southern Guilford to Randleman. Yeah. It was the week before we were about to move and have our very first worship gathering at Randleman High School. And as we finished tearing down at Southern Guilford Middle School, Jenny Austin, who is our finance pastor, pulled me aside and said, Matt, I just need to tell you that we're out of money. That basically uh, your support, I had raised my own support for three years. I, I had basically asked anybody I could ever find that ever knew me and liked me a little bit to give me some money for a while to raise my own salary so that the church and everything that was given by the people of the church could go to ministry. And she said, like, the, mo- the money's out. If something doesn't drastically happen this week, we're not going to be able to pay you. And basically, like, we're not, we don't have any more money to operate. The next Sunday was our very first Sunday at Randleman High School. And it was the very first time we ever did a series called Live Love. And I felt like God pressed in on me to revisit our why, to reestablish why this thing was existing. And, and so that no matter what was happening, no matter how much money was in the bank or no matter how many people were in the seats, it didn't change what God had called me to do. Amen. It's been a long way since that day. Now, I think last Sunday we had over 1,300 people worship with us last weekend. And in those nine years, we've seen almost 800 people accept Jesus. And over 400 people go through the waters of baptism. And there's been wedding ceremonies and babies born, most often in that order. And, you know, we've never been about the numbers, but those numbers represent a person. Every one of those numbers is a person. It's people who have accepted Jesus and who have experienced life change in Him. And I believe that no matter what we've seen, what we are going to see can be better if we never lose our why. Because, see, the reality is the further you get from when something began, the easier it is to drift from why it started. Let me say that again. The further that you get from when something began, the easier it is to drift from why it started. 
See, when we were 12 people in a living room or whether we're 1,200 people in an old grocery store, we still exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. Our why has never shifted and it never will. And the reason why we have this series every single year is to annually, intentionally remind us of our why. And I would submit to you that's been what has sustained this church. I mean, three out of every, two out of every three church plants never see year three. Therefore, a while, I didn't think we would see year two. But we did not waver. We did not move from the mission that God had put in our hearts. And I think that has been the cornerstone of why we are still thriving and why God is still using this body, this group of people to do amazing things in this community. And people throw the word movement around. It's a real kind of popular churchy word that they'll look at a church like ours who's experiencing really cool things and they'll begin to call it a movement. And I would just submit to you, vintage in and of itself is not a movement. But we're a part of one. We are not of a movement. We're an extension of the movement that Jesus himself began. See, a movement was started, and we are part of a movement, but we are not the movement. The movement was began when Jesus came to this planet. And he started a movement with the way that he lived his life. And that movement has been passed on from generation to generation and is now entrusted to us. See, Jesus started a radical movement when he came to this planet. When God gave his only son to this world to die for our sins, he started something that split history. When y'all wake up, I'll keep preaching. Come on, you with me? That's good, man. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. See, thousands of years ago, a movement was began when Jesus stepped onto this planet. And he went to the cross and he gave up his life so that we could have it. He took my punishment and your punishment so that we could have the things that stood between us and a relationship with God removed. But on the path to the cross, he gave us a pattern to live by. That Jesus died for our sins, but he also showed us how to live. How to live in this world. And before he left, he looked at the guys who first believed in him, the original church, the original people that gave their lives to Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus gave the church her mission. He told us why we would exist. Look at it. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Now, Jesus has already been crucified. He's already paid the, paid the price. He shed his blood for our sins. And three days later, he rose from the grave and was victorious over death. And now he's about to ascend to heaven and go to what his next assignment would be is to prepare a place for all those who would believe in him. But before he leaves, he looks at the original disciples. He looks at the first group of people who put their faith and trust in him. And this is what he said. You ready? Say amen. amen. Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right then, Jesus said, hey, you've seen me start this radical movement. Like, I just wrecked everything. I just told everybody the purpose of life. I just showed everybody what it really meant to live. 
And when Jesus came in, he ushered in something new. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And he began to shape this movement that would be the change that the world had been waiting on for decades. And he looks at these guys and he says, my, my time on this planet in my physical form is over. Now you've got to be my physical form. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. That meant every color, every creed, every, like of, every, of all nations. Go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Like, go do for others what I have done for you. And right then, the church got its mission. And it's never going to change. He said, go make disciples. And that begs the question, like, what is a disciple? Because, you know, I know what a disciple is, but can I be honest with you anymore? I don't know what a Christian is. Because I'll meet two Christians who look very different, think very different, and behave very different. And it doesn't make sense to me. So I don't really even know what a Christian is anymore. But I know what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who lives and loves like Jesus. That's what we're here to do as a church. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. Why? Because that's the why that Jesus gave us. That's our mission. And if the movement that Jesus started is going to continue, we have to never lose sight of our mission. See, the mission loses movement when it wavers from its mission. The mission is vital. The, the movement loses motion when it wavers from its mission. And the reason why the church at some times in our lifetimes and things that we see across our culture, the reason why the church seems to stall out, I would submit to you, is because there are bodies of Christ that have wavered from their mission. That it becomes about something other than what Jesus intended it to be about. Like there are some places that call themselves churches that don't deserve it. I'm, I'm trying to behave today, but I'm probably not going to, Okay. Because it's about making disciples. And if we're not making disciples, that means if we're part of churches and it's the same 30 people that we've been looking at for the last 30 years, it ain't a church. The mission is what drives the movement. And the movement will lose its motion when it wavers from the mission. And if we want to continue to be the a part of the movement that Jesus handed us, then the mission has to stay at the front and center of everything that we do. And see, the reality is, the church has constantly, from the very beginning, been tempted to move from its mission. From the onset, there have been things that attempted to move the church off its mission and stop the motion of the movement. This is not anything new. From the onset, this church was inspired by the book of Acts. The book of Acts show us the actual acts of the first church. Those people that Jesus just handed the baton of the movement to. In Acts, we see them continuing what he started. And from the very beginning, from the onset of this thing that Jesus started, there have been things that have seeked to move us from our mission. From the very beginning, 
The reason why we call this thing Vintage Church is because I saw something in the book of Acts that I had never experienced in church in my whole life. This beautiful, organic, powerful movement of God that was about mission and nothing else. And in it, they faced things that seek to move them from their mission. And what I found is the things the early church had to deal with are the same things that we have to deal with now. From the onset of this movement, there have been things that have threatened to move us off mission. Like even from the very beginning, the church had to deal with criticism. From the very beginning, the church had to deal with criticism. Even on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, when the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born and the first sermon was preached by Peter, even then, people were getting filled with the Holy Spirit and they were beginning to act in ways that people didn't understand. And so the only way they could figure it out was to criticize it. That's always been a tactic. First, let me tell you something, man. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life, you're going to be weird. When you fall deeply in love with Jesus and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart, you're going to do stuff that people think are crazy. Like, they're not going to believe that, like, you could face such trial and have such peace. They're not going to believe that you could be going through so many difficult things and have such hope. They're really not going to believe that you would get up before the crack of dawn on Sunday morning on your only day off to be at this church to play guitar. They're not going to believe that you would carve out an hour and a half of your life to teach other people's kids who are crazy like you. (laughs) They're not going to believe that you could come in here and be so lost in worship that you're dancing and screaming and shouting. And people criticize what they don't understand. On the day of Pentecost, people got so lost in the Spirit. Look at what it says about them. Acts chapter 2, verse 12. Says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? That's like in response to what they're seeing these people do in response to God. Then look what they say. Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. So, like, we ain't really had church unless you act like you're drunk. <laughs> Not really drunk. But, like, these people were so rowdy and crazy and lost and in control. And if you. Man, if you really live on mission for God, if you really commit to who he wants you to be, there are going to be people that cannot fathom what you're doing. They cannot understand it. And people criticize what they don't understand. It's happening to our church. Church growth is so far in our county, the only way to explain that our church is growing is to criticize it. Call us a cult. We ain't passing out Kool-Aid yet at the door. From the very beginning, from the onset of the movement, people have tried to criticize it, to move it off mission. There will be times, if we live on mission, that we will do things and act in ways that maybe people don't understand. And people criticize what they don't understand. The other thing that the church had had to fight against was control. See, the church went from 125 to 150 people to over 3,000 people all in one day. And that started freaking people out. And the church started moving and growing and doing all these amazing things. And when the church starts becoming a a place that maybe some people aren't comfortable with, what they try to do is control it. They try to hijack the church from its mission in order to make it something that they're more comfortable with. It still happens today. It happened then. 
then the, this mission was growing so much and, and people loved what the church was doing but they didn't love how these people were so radically in love with Jesus and so they basically come to him and says, like keep doing all the really cool nice things you're doing but stop using the name of Jesus we're not comfortable with you using the name of Jesus you using the name of Jesus is, is, is not comfortable for us and in the beginning like they tried to control the movement look what they said Acts chapter 5 verse 27 the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of his, this man's blood. Yep. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. That no man will control us, only the mission. We will not be controlled. This still happens today. My life, we grew up, it wasn't a Sanhedrin, but it's what I call the church boss. Who wanted the church to be about them. So they would throw their money and their power around to try to make the pastor, make the church something that they were more comfortable with instead of a church that was really on mission. It happens to us. People walk in here every Sunday trying to tell us how to do church. Telling us about the way things did at their old church. Why are you trying to make our church like the church you just left? <laughs> Maybe you should go back. <laughs> Told you I wasn't going to behave today. <laughs> From the beginning, people have tried to control this movement to make it something they're more comfortable with. To make it with something that more catered to what they want or their preferences. But the apostles, it's about the mission. It's about the mission. They didn't just face threats of criticism and control. They had to deal with change. Like in order to continue this movement growing to reach people that Jesus wanted them to reach, they had to change. They had to do things that, that they weren't comfortable with. They had to step outside the box of their own tradition. Peter is told that he has to go and teach Jesus to a Gentile. Now, I know that doesn't seem weird to you, but it was weird for Peter. Because that meant he had to step into an environment that he had never been in his whole life. And in order for, for Peter to actually reach this specific Gentile named Cornelius, he was going to have to eat a meal that he had never eaten because it had always been forbidden. And God calls him in a dream and says, you need to eat this meal. And Peter basically tells God, I will not eat anything. My lips have never touched anything unclean. God says, don't call anything clean that I've made clean. And Peter has to step out and for the very first time eat a meal that he had never eaten before. He had never done that before. We can't do that. We've never done it that way before. How many times has the church got stuck there? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> but Peter realizes something after he does this. Verse... Acts chapter 11, verse 15. says, I, Peter talking, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? Who was I to stand in the way of the mission that God has for us? See, from the very onset of this thing, from the very onset of this movement, there have been things that have threatened its motion. 
things that if we allow it will keep us from keeping the movement that we've been handed by God moving forward. See, now, like, it's our turn. That, see, from generation to generation that God has seen to pass this movement on to new people. And, and, and see, somebody bought into Jesus who bought into somebody who bought into somebody who invested in you and brought you to him. And the movement has continued because there have been people along the way that refused to waver from the mission. And as long as we stay true to the mission, the movement will keep going. See, an unwavering mission will always lead to an unstoppable movement. And, and the reason why, even in the... See, here's the thing about, about the early church. They only had to face criticism and change and control. Like, they actually ended up having to face death. Like there came a point where for them to, un, to be unwavering to their mission would cost them their very lives. It actually only took to Acts chapter 7 before it starts happening. Where people so unwilling to waver from their mission that they're even willing to give their own lives. It's that kind of commitment that keeps the mission moving. I wonder if we're that committed. I wonder if we're going to stay that committed. That if we're going to keep this movement that we've been handed moving forward, then we cannot waver from the mission. Because even we've been tempted to all along the way. And it comes in many forms. And let me tell you something. I firmly believe that the reason why God is doing so many awesome things in our church is because we have never wavered from our mission. It may look... A, back then, it may have just been a couple of acoustic guitars and a ficus tree. And now it may be a lot more. But you do understand, all this more is a means to an end. It's never been about all this stuff. Everything we've ever done, every dime we've ever spent, every minute of energy we've ever exerted has been because we believe that that would inspire more people to live in love like Jesus. Amen. And that's the way it will always be. And there may be times that you wonder, or you question, or, you, or whatever, but I guarantee you the heart of the people in this church who lead it has always been, will this help us inspire more people to live and love like Jesus? And there's always going to be somebody that wants to criticize that, somebody that wants to change that, somebody who wants to control that. But that's what it's always going to be. But when I look at Acts... And I see how unwavering those people are. I always have to wonder, why? Because I, we've grown up in a culture that has been wavering, if we're honest. I know pastors that have wavered. Because people threaten to hold their tithe check or do whatever. That crap ain't going to work on me, just so you know. Sorry. I answer to Jesus before I answer to anybody in this room. Amen. But I wanted insight. What made these men and women so committed? See, my life has never been threatened for my commitment to the mission. 
So I've never been tested in that way. But I wonder, what makes these people so committed? And I think I, think I got some insight into why they were so unwavering. And it started when I began, in preparation for this series, I've been reading John chapter 17 over and over and over and over and over and over again. So grab your Bibles, go there. I want you to go there. Pull it up on your Bibles or your, or your phones. or whatever. John chapter 17. Let me kind of set the context. See, Jesus is just hours away from being arrested and going to the cross. And he already knows what he's going to tell the church. He already knows the mission that he's going to hand to the disciples. And in John chapter 17, Jesus pauses to pray for those who would go first. He pauses to pray for those first disciples whom he's about to hand the baton of the church to. And when you read what he prays, he's praying for that. I've been just reading that. It's kind of like a prayer for us and a prayer for myself. Like, because like, Jesus even says, I not only pray for them, I pray for those who will believe because of them. In John chapter 17. And I want you to look at, just look at what he said. John chapter 17, pick up with verse 6. Jesus says, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I give them words you gave me, and they accepted them. Then look at the last part of verse 8. They know with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. There it is. There it is. Why were they so committed? Because they were certain. They were certain. They were so certain that Jesus was and is everything that he claimed to be. That it was their belief in the man that made them unwavering to the mission. It was their purpose was driven by their personal relationship with Jesus. That it was purposeful, but before it was purposeful, it was personal. Amen. See, each one of those men had been in Jesus' presence and had firsthand seen everything that they had done. They had been eyewitnesses to every miracle. They had been direct recipients of his love. They had put their hands in the places where the nails had been. They had watched him ascend to heaven. They had watched him in flesh be risen from the dead. Like they were so convinced. They were so committed to who Jesus was. Like it was personal for them. And if it's not personal, it will never be purposeful. See, this church is only as effective at accomplishing its mission as each individual is committed to theirs. So inspiring people to live and love like Jesus cannot be a mantra for an organization. It has to be a mission for a person. And the reason why they were unwavering it's because it was personal. When insults were hurled at them, you know what I think they remembered? This is painful, this hurts, this is hard. But I saw his hands and his feet. I felt his touch. I saw the compassion in his eyes. I felt his love for me. And maybe, just maybe, we're not as unwavering in our mission as the body of Christ because maybe somewhere along the way it just hasn't become as personal as it needs to be. 
That we, you inspire people to live in love on Jesus, not out of loyalty to me or commitment to this church, but out of belief in the person of Jesus Christ who died for you. That, that's, that's how it happens. That's, that's, it's, it will never be purposeful until it's personal. That's what allows a man like Peter on the day of Pentecost to step up and say what he's about to say. Now remember, I want you just, I'm about to read from Acts chapter 2. And remember, just a few days before what I read to you ha happens, Peter was staying before just a couple of people and he denied Jesus. Like he couldn't, he couldn't acknowledge Jesus just in a little bitty small gathering of people. But now, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has infused his life and he's been reminded and restored by Jesus of who he is. And look what he has the courage to do in front of thousands. He stands up and says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and now hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand and until I make your enemies a footstool for my feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. What makes a man go from one extreme to the other? It's not just a mission. It's a commitment to the man who changed his life. And if we're going to be unwavering and inspiring people to live in love like Jesus, it's got to get personal. See, I'm convinced that to inspire people to live in love like Jesus you got to deeply love Jesus. You have to deeply love Jesus. And can I just, can I just ask you, challenge you, inspire you? Fall in love with Jesus. See, so many of us, the reason why it's not personal is because Jesus was just our get out of hell free option. It's never gone beyond just salvation. You notice what he says? Both Lord and Messiah. See, some of you want a Messiah, but you don't want a Lord. And if we're going to effectively inspire people to live in love like Jesus, if we're going to be unwavering in our mission and become the unstoppable movement that Jesus needs his church to be, it begins with every person that sits in this room week in and week out, personally, deeply falling in love with Jesus again. Maybe some of you in here and you've never fallen in love with Jesus because you've never seen Jesus for who he is. He is the one that hung on the cross with you on his mind. Or maybe some of you, you got saved too long ago and you've lost sight of the beauty of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in your life. And if you are going to take up the mission and keep the movement moving, you got to fall back in love with Jesus and allow him and the power of his spirit to move inside your heart. Just bow your heads, close your eyes with me. If you go back into John chapter 17, 
Jesus would say, my prayer is not for them alone. I'm not praying just for, for these disciples. I'm not praying just for those who believe right now. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they also be in us. See, in us, see what Jesus is saying, may they also be in relationship with us, that if they are going to live on purpose, they have to exist in relationship. It's got to be personal. Fall back in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus for the first time. His love for you is unending, unwavering, Undivided, unconditional. And if you're ever going to live your life on mission for Him, if you're ever going to find purpose, it begins with surrendering to a person. And His name is Jesus. And He's calling you to bow your heart and surrender to Him right in this moment. Father, I pray that as we worship you in this space, that you'd speak to hearts, God. That it would become about you again. God, we're grateful that we get to be a part of the movement that you began. And we're grateful that you didn't put us in this movement without first giving us its mission, giving us its why. But God, if we're going to be the unwavering, unstoppable movement for your glory, to spread your love that we need to be, it's got to be personal. So God, I pray that you would penetrate, pierce the heart of every person in this room. And may they check themselves and their level of love for you and commitment to you so that we can be what you've called us to be. Move in our midst right now in this moment. Show up, Jesus. In the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.